Fox Sports is the home of Australian rugby, and this is the official Fox Rugby Podcast with your host, Nick McArdle. Hello and welcome to the Fox Rugby Podcast. I'm Nick McArdle, and joining me this week, Sam Worthington and Christy Doran from foxsports.com.au. Gentlemen, welcome. Um, Christy, as I understand it, lucky to have you here today, the... uh, the call to jury duty. I mean, what, what's going? Do they not know what they're going to get themselves in for? That the most, what should we say, unreliable, untrustworthy uh, human I know is oh, going wow. to sit in judgment of another. <laughs> A little bit harsh. Yeah. Okay. That's probably gone. Too I, far, I reckon really. in the, my defence, I've been called up for jury duty May one, and the estimated time length is eleven weeks. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to get out of it at this stage, but I'm going to plead the case that a rugby rugby in, in Australia needs as much support as it can get. That's right. And uh, that, that, that would be my defence, right. just to get off it. Is this going to be as good as when you tried to smuggle fruit into New Zealand and uh, cop some pretty oh, hang on. pretty severe fines for that as well? You did get... you? I did. Did you? Accidentally, <laughs> of course. Right. You've but, got a rap sheet. Uh, got stung with, what, a $400 fine or so. So it was rather severe for just a... It was a pretty clean green apple of the day, uh, accidentally. Right. Clearly, just didn't... Could have brought remember. down their whole industry. Was it Could gra- have. Was wow. it a Granny Smith? It was. Didn't even get to have a bite, and, unfortunately. And, Sammy, you, as I understand it, are off to Japan this evening and have not packed a bag. That's uh, grossly incorrect. You're, you're having a go at all of us here. No, my bags are well and truly packed. Oh, um, bad information. So, uh, yeah, you might be thinking of uh, league journalist Ben Glover, who's just rushed home to get his bags packed now. Right. You're going together. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's lovely. Rugby and league together. It's a oh, beautiful, that's beautiful thing. Yes. Okay. Michael Checker's wanted it for years. Yes. <laughs> exactly right. So we have got a heat to talk about. We're going to talk a little bit about Israel Folau and... Uh, the uproar surrounding his uh, social media activity over the last week or so. The Brumbies keeping their season alive uh, last weekend. And the Waratahs uh, in Japan looking very, very good. Three wins on the trot for the first time in a long time. Yeah, and when you look at the standings as I was doing today, I mean, they're only one of three teams that have only had one loss. Um, so, yeah, when you put it in that light, it's quite impressive. I think the Hurricanes and the Chiefs are the other uh, two teams there. So, yeah, look, um, I thought that could be a potential banana skin that game because they picked a very mobile team and they were happy to engage in that fast and furious style which suited the Sunwolves. They scored some great tries, but they, they couldn't stop the Waratahs at the other end. So, yeah, to do that without Israel Folau, um, while not perfect, I think they'll be pretty happy with how they're travelling. Yeah, um, interesting. We'll talk a bit more about that and the fact that I think pre-season, if anyone had tipped the Waratahs to be uh, where they are mm. at the moment, uh, would have been very surprised. But very pleased to welcome our special guest uh, for today. He is Australia's number one referee right now, Angus Gardner. Welcome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Now, you are, you've are you been back in uh, Super Rugby for a little while now, but... Uh, Back from what must have been a highlight of your career, and that being England and Ireland at Twickenham in the Six Nations, very, very special. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, for me, easily a highlight of the career to date. Uh, I think the Six Nations is special because of the history and the and the passion that they play with over there. I think also they've got a very different kind of supporter base than, than typically what you'd see down here in, in, in a rugby championship game. So I think 
you know, the occasion up there, uh, coupled with the supporters, coupled with the the intensity and the pride that the teams bring, makes it you know a pretty wonderful and special occasion, as well as playing in some of the greatest stadiums around the world. So, yeah, it was amazing. Gus, eighty thousand people there that day. Yeah, uh, pretty massive crowd. England, couple of losses in a row, and. Ireland, St. Paddy's Day, shooting yeah. for a Grand Slam. When you're refereeing that, do you understand and do you really capture that? Yeah, I do, but it's on rare occasions, and, and this was a rare occasion. And, and the only time that I really noticed the crowd was when England started to get swing, low, sweet chariot going, and they got drowned out by the Irish in, in, the, in the stand. So... Um, that kind of gave me a fair sense that there was a lot of Irish supporters at the game. And um, that's pretty unusual because, you know, England, typically the hallowed turf, yeah. they sell out most of their games at Twickenham. So, you know, a very, very vocal Irish crowd. Um, and they came out of the rafters for that game. So it was pretty amazing. To be given the responsibility of such a high-profile game, you obviously would have been stoked with that and then how your career is going in general. Yeah, I mean, refereeing, I think, is one of those things. Is kind of you're just one game at a time. You're really only as good as your next game. And, um, you know, I think the the profile around some of these games, it's 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 more of a relief to get through the game, to be honest, than, uh, than anything else. So It's much talked about how um, the recruitment of referees and, and um, trying to get kids interested in actually refereeing, yeah. see it as a, a career path. And uh, I've spoken to Wayne Barnes about this and said, well, you know, how did you become a referee? And he said, well, he was basically uh, a non-tackling back rower. So realised <laughs> that the future I'm sure Barnes would say that. Yeah. So, Although he likes to pull the boots on every now and then. Barnes for does. his charity. He so. does. Um, but what about for you? Because you, you played yeah. as a kid, didn't you? When, when did you think actually refereeing could be the go here? Yeah, look, I played a lot at school, um, and part of the reason I got into refereeing was through injury. Um, so I got injured playing at school, and then they said, well, you know, do you want to still stay involved in the game? And they had a pretty good school kind of program, um, and I think we're lucky in Australia that we do have a pretty good schools refereeing program at a lot of the schools around Australia, which encourages young kids to get involved, both men and women, which is which is fantastic. Um and then I think it really went from there. Like I, I think the initial few games I hated it. I hated the parents yelling abuse at me. I hated the parents yelling abuse at their own kids. They still um, are, probably. Yeah. Well, I found it all pretty confronting. Um, I think I think the culture's changing around some of those things. Although I think it still exists, but and I think that is one of the, the you know the hard things about encouraging young young kids to get involved is that. Is that piece of the puzzle? And how did you is. handle that? Um, I mean, anecdotally, uh, schools have become a lot better at controlling parents and actually yeah. pointing out that there's a kid out there trying to trying to do the right thing. You might like to help him do the right thing. But how did you handle that on on that occasion? Or early well, on? I didn't particularly enjoy it, and it nearly pushed me away from refereeing. And I, I think it wasn't really until that I left school and started then refereeing senior rugby that I had a much better appreciation for what rugby was really about. And that was your grassroots sub-district rugby turning up to Mossman or Campbelltown or wherever it was, um, doing a game, having a good laugh with the guys after the game, them inviting you back for a beer um, and trying to really embrace you know, what grassroots senior rugby is about. 
Um, and it wasn't until I really started to do that week in, week out that I really found the passion for, for refereeing. Mm. Cool. It's a very uh, intimidating rule book, the, the size of rugby's law book. Um, and I know World Rugby's trying to reduce that, which, yeah. which seems sensible. Um, firstly, what's, what's your take on that, whether, whether it's possible to, to simplify the laws? And then how do you think the, the Super Rugby tweaks um, are going so far this year? Yeah, it's a good point. I think... I think the difficulty with rugby is is that there are so many laws and it is a very technical game and I think the balance that we've got to try and create uh, as we go through as referees around getting what matters while trying to maintain the flow of the game and, and I think that's the balance that we go into every game trying to you know grapple with and achieve. How do you how do you get the important parts of the game here not to not overlook or to not referee something, but also to keep the game going. Like, what's not important here? Like, can I manage this breakdown to get the flow of the game going here? Or is it something that I need to come in on? But I think in terms of reducing uh, the laws, I think they've done a great job in the laws committee at World Rugby trying to firstly reduce the size of the law book by consolidating a lot of overlapping laws that occurred in the law book. Um, And I think it's just going to be an ongoing process. And I think... The difficulty for them is leading into a World Cup. There's not too much that you can do with changing the game dramatically. But I think after the 219 World Cup, then that provides a good opportunity with that four-year cycle to really look at where's the game heading, what do we need to focus on. Sure. Um, and player safety in Super Rugby have been a huge talking point this yeah. season, and there's clearly has been you know different interpretations from different different refs. Um, yeah, how do you think that, that that process is going? I was watching rugby league at the weekend, and literally people are still whacking each other, yeah, forearms to the head, and it's just play on, which is staggering. So rugby's clearly doing the right thing here, but yeah, a tough one to get consistency on, maybe, or how to punish it on field or or, or wait off field and then give guys bans retrospectively. Look, that's always the debate, isn't it? You know, why can't we deal with some of these things off-field? You know, let's not ruin a game by reducing the numbers of people on the field. I, I get, we get all that. Um, I think a lot of the foul play stuff has been driven by the concussion laws. So the high tackles that came in last mm. year have all been around trying to protect the head and neck. And that's the directive that's come down from World Rugby is the head and neck are no-go zones and... There are unfortunate situations in every game where perhaps there's no intention and the guy just gets him high. And I think, I suppose that's that's something that we're struggling with in the game a little bit around, well, <laughs> that seems pretty harsh, but on the, one, on the other side, he's, he's hit him in the head. Mm-hmm. So where does that leave us? Yep. Um, it's almost like an intentional or not. Yeah, needs to. I mean, if they're serious about protecting the the head and neck, intentional or not, needs to cease to be part of the conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes it's very hard for us to judge intent. Um, particularly difficult. Mm. Mm. Saying a little bit lighter, uh, mm. we all know that every now and again I can bring up a crisis. Uh, Christy crisis. <laughs> I think Nicky turned sound very it just light. the other day. Is that your idea of lighter crisis? <laughs> I'm curious to know. You've got guys like Richie McCaw. Uh, David Pocock, the guys around the breakdown who yep. you know, they're masters at it. And you often get punters or just talk at the pub, guys saying, how do these blokes get away with doing such and such? What do you think when you go back and review a game? Do you ever think, oh, maybe he's got one or two past me there? And then if he's done that a couple of times, do you think about that going into another game later on? Wow, that's a great question. Um 
Well, firstly, I'd say, I mean, the players that you mentioned are obviously world-class, and they are world-class for that reason, that most of the time they get it pretty much spot on. Yes, there are times when they don't, and they're the debatable times. And I think those players are always living on the edge. They're always on the edge, and that's why they're they're world-class. Um, so, again, I think it comes back to that balance. It's... it's <sighs> And a, and a judgment. It's a judgment in the moment, and we're not going to get it right all the time. And, um, you know, I mean, I did my review from the Sunwolves game on the weekend, and there's certainly three or four breakdowns there that if I had my time again, I uh, would have made a different decision. And, mate, they do get it past you. And sometimes they don't get it past you, and people say, oh, it was a pretty tough call. So hopefully, uh, <laughs> out of the whole thing, it balances out. But and you, you send Ben Michael Hooper on the on the weekend as yep. well. Did, I mean, did it does it take time? I'm sure you're probably there now, but to to play the ball and not the man when, when you you know dealing with the superstars and the captains of just focusing on on adjudicating as best you can. Yeah, I think look certainly from my perspective that's a non-issue for us because it happens so quickly for you to kind of identify oh is that Michael Hooper or is that Richie McCaw or is that David Pocock lying down there it it really doesn't enter into your mind. You kind of just see the picture, have to make a decision, and then you obviously have to move on. So, What about, um, I remember last year we had uh, a player mic'd up and, and it was a conversation that was picked up between you and Michael Hooper. Yeah. And it was really, I mean, it was quite humorous at the time. I can't yeah. remember exactly what was said. But, but the judgment of it was, gee, Michael Hooper has really improved in his leadership. He has managed Angus Gardner there beautifully. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So... How much does the the management kind of thing? Do you know that, for want of a better term, yeah, you know that the 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 skipper's chatting you up, you know, like he's <laughs> absolutely he's using a line on you. Well, t- to be fair, Nick, like last year, uh, I actually went into the Waratahs and did a a segment with them on referee and captain communication. Right. So it's interesting because Michael's obviously used all that back against me <laughs> about five weeks later. So, but you don't mind. Perhaps that was not a. But you don't mind the commentary. Dozen roses was over the top. Yeah, <laughs> but you don't mind the commentary being. Um, gee, he's he's managed Angus Gardner there really well. That, that's well I think all, that's, that's good all... captaincy and, right. and fair play to him. Yeah. Um, I think it also happened with me last year in a red yeah, Reds Hurricanes game where TJ Paranara, you know. Quite, That's right, the quite, the yeah, yeah, quite rightly said to me, um, look, I didn't tap the ball and I saw it on the replay, having made a decision the other way and mate, I said, fair play, yep, you're yeah. right and we'll swap it around. So yeah. I, I just think that's very good captaincy. Yeah, right. But it's about them picking their moment. Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah they certainly got a lot better at dealing with referees, captains, they're, they're obviously doing their homework and how to talk to people. TJ Perinara, who you mentioned, though, is he the most chatty, annoying bloke? Going around a world rugby, he doesn't, he doesn't shut up much, does he? Who's, who's the chattiest? Oh, I think all halfbacks are like that, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, I think you know, oh, mate. I think there's a few out there, really, but I, I prefer not to get into singling out specific <laughs> names. So. TJ doesn't listen to this; it's fine. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and another thing that I really wanted to ask you about: we, we've done some numbers um, upstairs about uh, the time it takes to set a scrum yep. compared to ten years ago. Okay. Lot slower nowadays, yep. Um, and scrum resets, same thing. Lot slower nowadays. Although it must be said, according to the numbers that that were done, uh, the time it takes in New Zealand, South Africa is a lot longer than it's taking in okay. Australia. Um, do you have a view on on why that is? Is that a safety thing? Is that the because the the cues for the the scrum to be set have changed? Yeah. What's your what's your take on that? Well, the the scrum call uh, change over the last few years has all been safety driven. Right. 
So the introduction of the bind call, uh, the introduction of having three calls, three actions, slowing that process down is all about trying to reduce um, the amount of collapses and instability that could lead to severe injuries. So it's all been driven from a player safety perspective. Um, and it's then also been, I think, then driven from an outcome perspective. I think if you look at scrums, you know, going way back, the referee kind of just hold on to each forward pack, kind of get in the middle, and then when they were about ready, he'd kind of step out of the way and hope that they went in, you yeah. know, together. So, yeah. you know, it was very, you know, play it by ear. And I think the game's changed, you know, tactics around scrum, you know, they're now professional scrum coaches, you know, I think tactics around scrums have changed as well. Mate, you're obviously lucky enough to be a professional ref now. Um, can you just give us a bit of a look at what your average week looks like and also just the fitness um, the fitness regimen that you, you have to be on as a referee, obviously covering a lot of territory out there? Yeah, so, I mean, typically uh, Mondays we're in the office. We're doing our review from the weekend. Um, we generally have a phone hook up with the other referees in Australia plus our national coach, Mitch, Mitch Chapman. We look at a whole bunch of things from not only the games we've refereed, but also uh, pertinent learning points from other games over the weekend, whether that be TMO referrals or um, breakdown situations. So Monday's pretty much a, a debrief from the weekend's rounds. Um, and then uh, Tuesday, we're basically then into our preview of and, and preparation for games going forward. Um, and then Wednesday's basically my day off at, at home just to prepare, uh, spend a bit of time with the family, and then depending on whether you've got a Friday night or a Saturday night game, you travel Thursday, Friday. So that's a typical week in terms of a game. Uh, training's tailored depending on what your match schedule is. So if you have a game on Saturday, then you might train um, earlier in the week, get all your conditioning and cardio out of the way, versus if you're assistant referee, you might back in some of that and make it a longer week. Um, but generally, our trainings, we train every day. Um, our rest day is usually middle of the week. So your your rest day, though, isn't really a, a rest no. day, is it? It's pretty got, much my weekend. You, my rest day is my weekend. You've got number three on the way, too. Yeah. Baby number three. Yeah. Have you worked out what's causing that? Or? Well, I'm never at home, so it must be the, mil- <laughs> must be the milkman. Um, I don't know. So, yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Need a TMO yeah, yeah. in for that one. I oh, 100%. That's a, that's a tricky yeah. one. Yeah. That's so very we'll exciting. I have to wait and see what it looks like when it, when it pops oh, out. Don't. <laughs> don't. No, no. So <laughs> no, that's very good. So, so somehow you will manage to uh, to fit in some refereeing around family time, and, yeah. and just to to finish up, the ultimate the ultimate would be, I imagine, to referee a World Cup final. Is that even on your radar? Sure. I mean, like I think most referees would say to be involved in the last two weeks of a World Cup would be their would be their dream. Um, I suppose, like, on a selfish note, yeah, I'd love to ref the World Cup final, but then again, that means the Wallabies aren't in the final. So, yeah. I mean, they're, they're my national team. So you're still going to go with you in the final, aren't you? So, <laughs> well, just from our yeah. point of view, we, we would rather you didn't. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Referee the World so, Cup final as well. Semi-final, yeah. though. And, yeah. I mean, look, my support's with the Wallabies, you know. I you know, like to give them as much support as possible in the preparation for their game. So, to see them in the World Cup final as an Australian... You know, part of the Australian refereeing community and part of the Australian rugby landscape. You know, that's what that's what I want for the team. So, let's hope uh, you are spot on, and we find out next year in Tokyo. Indeed. Um, 
great to spend some time with you. Always good to catch up, but uh, to get a bit of insight on the, the world of the international referee. Very good. Thanks, Angus Gardner. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Appreciate man. it. You're listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. Always good to catch up with uh, Angus Gardner, and we thank him for his time on the Fox Rugby Podcast. Now, let's get to some of the issues in the game. And, Sammy, I'll go to you first on Israel Folau. And uh, what, a week ago now, the uh, the tweet, or it was an Instagram post initially, wasn't it, suggesting that uh, that gay people would would go to hell unless they repented their sins and pray for forgiveness. Now, that was met with uproar. And then in the last 48 hours or so, there's been uh, a tweet uh, sent from Izzy where he's quoted a, a verse of the Bible, um, basically portraying himself as the persecuted in this issue. He met with Rugby Australia today. Uh, they've agreed to go away, uh, have a bit of a, a chat, the two parties, he and his management, and uh, and also uh, Rugby Australia and the Waratahs, and each each side really reflect on where they now stand after that meeting. What's your take on... I guess that meeting today and the fact that there was nothing definitive out of it, uh, they will go away and, and have a look at uh, at the situation further. Yeah, think about what we've done. Yeah, it's such a complex issue, isn't it? And that's what Raylene spoke about. It touches on human rights issues, um, social media use, religion, you, you name it. So, um, they were never, as you said on TV, they were never going to throw the book at him. I would have liked her to be maybe a little bit stronger about saying... He's he's hurt and he's disappointed a lot of people because the the feeling out there is very raw and real, um, and behind the scenes I also hope they they may be looking at getting someone from the Sydney Convicts, um, well respected gay rugby club, or to have a chat or, with him. Even even one of Angus's colleagues, Nigel Owens, just 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 talk to him about someone that's actually living and breathing these issues and feels that hurt um, to to convey that message, but. Um, yeah, it sounds like a relatively productive meeting um, and <laughs> sponsors, uh, whether whether that's going to be enough to appease sponsors is a, is a big issue. But yeah, uh, given the contract discussions as well around Izzy staying in the game, that they were, they were never going to go too, too no, hard of them. That's yeah. that whole other, other layer. I wonder whether the whole issue might have been treated a little bit differently from Rugby Australia's point of view if they weren't trying to negotiate a new yeah. contract with Israel Folau at the same time. Rod Kafer put it so well over the weekend. He said, you know, nobody should be uh, muzzled in, in putting their views publicly, but when that view could potentially harm another, that's where these things get reined in. So you've got someone... Uh, with the profile and, and influence of Israel Folau, and he is a superstar, he's a hero to hundreds of thousands of kids around the country who love rugby. If one of those kids, just one, is questioning their sexuality and their hero says, you shouldn't be homosexual because you're going to go to hell unless you repent your sins, and it resonates with that kid, then that's the one reason and only one alone that he doesn't need to say that anymore. He shouldn't be saying it anymore. Yeah, indeed. And uh, it's it's difficult to see how, how they're actually going to go any further in this. Or what, what, what do they say to Izzy here? Like, reality is they've probably said they'll prefer you not to vent your views online. But, yeah, but how and, much, and, how and channel his message in a more positive way because he's obviously... Which is what Ray Lane said. Obviously yeah. a lot more positive Christian values, which he does, um, already um, put out there on, on social media. So... 
if he can stick to that, less less hell stuff, that'd be nice. Isn't yeah. It? But the reality um, is, if if, if he is to say something, they Rugby Australia does risk losing millions of dollars out of this. If he was to say something again, what's Rugby Australia's next move? Because at the moment, I I think Israel Folau's got all. It's all. He he's the person here who's who's kind of directing this. He's in charge of the situation at the moment. It's quite. Uh, all, all Rugby Australia seems to be doing at the moment is reacting to it a little bit. Or does it boil down to an even more simple issue? And, I, and I'm just putting it out there. I don't actually know the answer to this. But is the more simple issue, does he want to remain in Rugby Union? Indeed. If he wants to remain in Rugby Union, then he's going to need to you know, put a, put a lid on uh, these sorts of um, opinions. Or is he quite happy to... Uh, to make the game that's helped make him a superstar cranky mm. uh, and risk um, A, needing, or B, choosing to go to rugby league. And there, there is that theory out there that he's, you know, well down the track in discussions with with uh, rugby league teams then or a rugby league team, then, mm. then maybe he doesn't mind all that much. So there's some guesswork going on here, but you have to look at the motivation. Is totally. it as simple as wanting his religious view out mm. there or is it something more? I'm going to do a Tony Jones and say that's a comment uh, because I do... I'm aware that you've got to go at some point this afternoon, but I, I think it's it's important to... It's, it's an interesting thing that's happening up at no, in North at the moment, in England and in France at the moment, two cases over the last few months where players on the field have had said homophobic remarks who have been suspended for four weeks. Denny Solomona, just last week, four days ago, I think the, the jury handed the decision down. And a couple of weeks, uh, months before that with Bastarau, the, the French inside centre, suspended for, for three weeks for, for saying homophobic remarks. And here, Israel Folau, I know off the field, said it in, in an in a Instagram and then a, a tweet as well. But it seems a little bit softer, their decision, than what's happened uh, up north. So. Mm. Well, I mean... The fine line is there that is is that straight vilification. Were they were they espousing a, a religious view or was it just straight vilification and abuse? Um, homophobic slur, the yeah. uh, the F word, one of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, or or you know, is it is well, it a religious I, view? I, I, I did, yeah. What what's more harmful in the in the Solomona case, there was actually no evidence on the, on the field. They took the the word of the player. Um, so it was rather interesting how it's, mm. how it's played out anyway. Mm. Uh, the Brumbies, wow. Um, who saw that coming against the Reds? Um, even at half time, who saw that coming? That, that well, second tw- half. 20 minutes was... into it, they're 15 nil down. Yeah. Um, and then they did, just something clicked. It's, um, and, and I think Dan McKellar indicated that that's kind of what they've been working towards all year. Although, you know, the back line still didn't necessarily set the world on fire. It was more to, more in the direction of where they've been trying to head, I think. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by that game because I thought it could be quite an ugly game mm, between grind, two, yeah. two grinding teams. So, um, yeah, the, the key was just the, the Brumbies forward pack. They've got a lot of Wallabies in there and they quite simply weren't fronting up, you know, playing to their, their full capabilities. So, yeah, once they started 
getting over the game line, it, everything becomes so much easier. And, um, and, and yeah, we had, I think, what, six of the seven tries scored by forwards. Indeed. Yeah, I was down there and I ran into Laurie Fisher after the game. And uh, it was interesting that Laurie Fisher, who's known as a forwards expert, has come, joined the Brumbies again after a few years at Gloucester. And here the Brumbies pack had been pretty dismal in the first two months mm. of Super Rugby. And he said that, look, throughout the week there were some pretty honest truths. And there were some of those wallabies were told you've got to aim up, they risked losing their wallaby spots. There's no doubt about it. They were struggling, and Fisher said that, look, they were, I'm not going to use the language, but they were told that they had to, <laughs> to harden up, to, to look in the mirror and, and, and do something, really. And, and they, were, they were bloody good. You had Rory Arnold, his best game in some time, and if we can get some consistency out of him, well, he becomes in that 23 again because he's just a giant of a man. Scott Seo and Alan Alatoff, Alfa doing some acrobatic work out in mm. the wing even though he didn't score. They were brilliant. I thought that was a try, by the way. But anyway, that's right. Really? Um, no. And uh, on New Kick glasses. and Chase on, uh, on Wednesday night, really interesting follow, game day follow with Alan Alatoa. Mm. Um, basically starting the day, gets up, has brekkie, uh, with his family uh, and then just hanging around the house all day, has a snooze in the afternoon, goes to the game. It's a really nice insight into, um, A, how the Type 5 work together and uh, and B, what it takes to, to win a game of Super Rugby. So um, It sounds like uh, I think I could be a professional rugby player if it wasn't for the actual 80-minute. <laughs> oh, yeah, game day sounds great. Getting up, <laughs> having a, a couple of toasted sandwiches for brekkie and, yeah, and sleeping in the afternoon. Okay. Unfortunately, he has to play. Sorry, Sammy. And, um, and the Waratahs, three wins straight. As we were saying earlier, who would have guessed that at the start of the season? Not so much the three wins straight, but the fact that uh, they are knocking on the door now of the Australian Conference. Well, they certainly are. And a big test this week against, uh, albeit injury-ravaged, red side. So you would expect that they would win again and, and go, what would it be, four straight? And, and they're really pressing on the... Well, they're right on the heels of the Rebels, who are a point behind. So mm. good to see some competition at the top of the Australian Conference because last year we were just talking about losses, so it's good to see some of the, the more high-profile sides firing. Yeah, the results have, have meant an ultra-competitive Australian Conference mm. now, and, yeah, I'd, I'd still lean towards the Rebels taking it out, but, yeah, the Waratahs are certainly making me, me think about that, and the Brumbies and Reds are still, still a chance as well. So who, who have you guys got at this stage to take it out? No, I still think the Rebels, yeah. but uh, the Waratahs, that forward pack, I mean, I know that they scored a lot of points against uh, against the Sunwolves last week, but it kind of was a nice match-up for their forward pack, you know, a similar Definitely. similar group of men in, in a way, um, but when we start seeing them play some, some giant New Zealand forward packs who are mobile and, and like to play with the ball a bit, that's going to be interesting. Indeed, yeah. That, that month of May is going to be pretty exciting. The Waratahs, I think, have got four straight New Zealand sides mm. to come up against. So uh, watch out. I think this weekend the Brumbies travelling over to Dunedin to the place the Highlanders. So another opportunity for Australian side to, to break that drought. Let's hope. Exactly right. And, of course, uh, the big one in Sydney, as we alluded to, the Waratahs and the Reds at the SCG. And to bring us full circle, Angus Gardner will be refereeing that game. So a lot to look forward to uh, this weekend. Gentlemen, thanks very much for your company on the Fox Rugby Podcast. Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you.